Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a very uh, group of distinguished guests today, and the, the most distinguished of all is none other than Congresswoman Maxine Waters from the 43rd Congressional District of Los Angeles and the chair of the House uh, Financial Services Committee and a truth teller in the United States Congress uh, will stand up for the rights of our people, regardless of who's in office or who's in power, because she speaks truth to the power and she is a powerhouse. So Congressman Waters, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. It's always such a pleasure to have you on. And for a long time, you were our CVC member because we had that kind of relationship. Now we're fortunate enough to have Marilyn Strickland out of uh, uh, the 10th Congressional District in Washington State. That's Tacoma and south of Seattle. So we got so many things happening right now. I just, first of all, thank you so much for being on today. And as I mentioned earlier, before we came on, your protege, Angela Rye, will be on right after you. And I would like to have you take a few minutes, <laughs> oh, if you could, and just say something to her. So right now, I guess, uh, as uh, one person put, and I this commentator I agree with, uh, he said, we need to focus on the vote and what's happening there. And I'd like to have you comment on uh, what the states are doing uh, and uh, what, uh, uh, well, 45 is inspiring people as well, but what can people do to ensure that we have our right to vote? Um, first of all, we have to recognize a very dangerous time in the history of this country. As hard as we have fought, the civil rights movement uh, worked so hard to get voting rights. Uh, and now we have a brazen attempt for the kind of voter suppression uh, that is as bad as what we had to experience when we were paying. This is even more sophisticated and trickery. Uh, it, it, it is uh, uh, a, a, an attack needed and organized uh, by the Republicans uh, to take place in all in somewhere between 16 and 19 states now uh, producing or have already passed is an organized, a well-organized attempt to strip us of our voting rights and to discourage people uh, from going to the polls or getting involved in absentee balloting, uh, restricting the number of polling places, uh, requiring uh, extraordinary identification, uh, getting rid of early voting days. It goes on and on and on. They have thought up every trick that uh, to deny us uh, the right to vote. So we have to recognize that this is not something uh, that we just think, oh, somebody else will take care of. We've all got to be in this fight. We've all got to be in this fight. Number one, recognizing it. Number two, resisting it at every... While we're fighting in the courts, uh, we've got to make sure uh, that people will not give up, no matter what they try and do. If they make it tougher to vote uh, by having smaller or less number of polling places, we've got to make sure uh, that we're willing uh, to stand in line uh, like they did in South Africa when they elected Nelson Mandela president. We've got to stand in line until we can't stand anymore. We've got to fight uh, on the whole issue of voter identification. We've got to fight 
on the issue of uh, early voting days. And that means we're going to now, we're going to march, we're going to protest to organize in our legislatures uh, and not simply depend on the people in the state or where the voter suppression is taking place. We've got to go and join them in the protest and speak up and speak out and make sure that our voices are heard so that we can encourage others to do everything uh, that we're doing. So this is a fight, and this is a struggle. And again, we've got to go to the courts, uh, and we've got to protest, and we've got to organize. In terms of uh, uh, what's happening right now uh, with, uh, 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 I'm not going to touch QAnon, but uh, the uh, legal problems that uh, 45 seems to be having, and uh, the fact that uh, I guess 48 percent of the Republicans still think that Donald Trump is a president. And, uh, and when will this end or will it just be a continuation? Well, you know, a lot of things are happening that we've got to pay attention to. First of all, uh, up in New York, uh, where they have decided uh, that they're going to have a grand jury Uh and they don't just call grand juries because they don't have anything else to do. When they call and put together a grand jury, it's because they got something to tell them and to give reason why they think somebody needs to be prosecuted and indicted. And so uh, I'm feeling good about the fact uh, that, you know, up in New York uh, and also in Atlanta, uh, a determination has been made uh, that this president has been involved in criminal, not this president, but Trump, have been involved in criminal uh, activity, and they're going after him. He's got a lot of lawsuits against him. He's got a lot of investigation that has been done. There is access to his tax uh, records now. And so when they talk about him running for re-election, uh, you know, uh, I don't want anybody to think that, oh, my God, there's nothing that we can do. This man is going to be re-elected. Well, it's far from that. It's far from that. He's got a lot of hoops to jump through now uh, because uh, finally the criminal justice system has caught up with him. Attorney generals of New York and uh, others are going after him. So I am to him being uh, absolutely caught in the criminalization that he's been involved in and uh, do what's coming to him, an indictment, and, uh, you know, having to do what he has caused so many others to do in the way that he has operated. Uh, I just wanted you also to comment on uh, the January 6th uh, a tour, tour uh, guide that uh, some of the Republicans are talking about uh, that exposed the entire world to uh, what uh, some people's democracy looks like. Uh, the fact that there will not be a, non a nonpartisan commission. Uh, what will uh, the Democrats do to get justice for the people for that breach and an insurrection on January 6th? Uh, thank you very much. Yes, our capital uh, was invaded. It was indeed an insurrection by domestic terrorists. When you talk about who was involved in that invasion, in that insurrection, it was uh, you know, the white supremacists, QAnon, uh, the Proud Boys, uh, the Oath Keepers, uh, and they're bold. They're all over the Internet. And, yes, they're trying to rewrite history and talk about it was a tourist uh, uh, attraction 
uh, where people were involved in peaceful, they are so brazen that they would dare look us in the face and lie. We know what we have experienced. We know what we have seen. We have seen these domestic terrorists breaking into the Capitol, breaking windows, uh, scaling the walls, tearing down fences, and hanging up uh, a contraption with a noose, on and on and on. And the uh, president has tried, uh, you know, to deal with it. But, of course, we have been working uh, in the House of Representatives uh, to get the Senate uh, to agree uh, to do an investigation, have an investigatory committee uh, that would work together to do it. They're not agreeing. They are standing still. They are strong in their resistance. And so Democrats just got to move. We got to move on our own. And we've got to do the investigation, uh, even if they won't participate. And they can call it partisan. They can call it whatever they want. They refuse to participate. And we've got to go forward. You cannot allow the destruction of the capital of the United States to take place and not want to investigate it and know everybody that was responsible. I don't think uh, that we would dare uh, ignore uh, the facts of what took, happened on January 6th and not be able to tell the American people in detail how the planning took place, who was involved with it, who paid for people to come to Washington, and on and on and on. And so the Democrats are going to move. Uh, we have to. We have no choice. And I certainly hope a lot of people are hoping that's the case. Now, I guess the one other stickler is uh, so far in the Senate is uh, Senator Joe Manchin seems to be in a, one of the uh, senators. Uh, and they, and I'm hearing now that it might be five or six who are just not saying anything. But to hold up the entire infrastructure package, what can be done to get people on board or to get around them? Is that possible politically or legally? Well, first of all, uh, as the president is doing, uh, try to get some cooperation uh, and to make sure uh, that we can get to the American people what is needed to repair this infrastructure, the roads, the highways, the bridges, the waterways, and on and on and on. But again, if they don't participate, if they don't want to cooperate, we've got to keep moving. And if we have one or two Democrats who join with them, or, you know, or we've got to deal with those Democrats. We have got to do everything that we can leverage all of the pressure, everything that we can do uh, to get Democrats who would resist this infrastructure bill to come online with their party. And so we, we can't give up on them. We've got to work it so that we have the slight majority that we have. We'll be able to pass it without the Republicans. Well, from what I'm hearing and just being, you know, uh, I guess an armchair quarterback, with all these divisions within the Republican Party, it's talk about starting a third party. I also hear folks, uh, uh, John Kasich and others on CNN and other uh, channels now. Uh, but it seems as though uh, Donald Trump still has a stranglehold on this party because uh, this the situation with Matt Gates is really uh, phenomenal as well. But guess what? We've been joined by Angela Wright. Do you have a couple more minutes, Congressman Waters? Yes, I do. Thank you. Angela T. Rye. Hi, Dad. Hi, Congresswoman. Hello. How you doing, Angela? You're back from Tulsa. Yes. 
Well, very good. You had a, a, a most most interesting and informative um, show with the panel that I served on with you having uh, a lot of people with a lot of knowledge and commitment, and I enjoyed being with you. Thank you again, uh, once again, for having a great, great program. Thank you for doing it. I'm so excited about um, what you're doing with the Financial Services Committee and holding the banks and the insurance companies accountable that haven't faced any accountability for 100 years. To, yeah, on them because, you know, what, what we do know is people had money in those banks. And yeah. the bank books were burned up, lost, gone. And the banks did not uh, acknowledge that they had their money. And they lost that money. And people who have been paying premiums for years, the insurance yeah. has decided uh, to describe the the uh, uh, the uh, damage that had been done to them as having been done by a riot uh, rather than uh, a massacre that took place. So I have to take a look at it. I've got my staff starting already. And so stay tuned. Absolutely. It's going to be good and time for justice. Dad, thanks for yeah. having me today. And happy belated birthday yesterday. But I told you happy birthday yesterday. But for your listeners, happy belated birthday. Thank you very much, daughter. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Same here. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to remind our listeners is that Angela Rye got her start politically in Congresswoman Waters' Los Angeles office yes. back in 2000. And, uh, was it? Yeah, 2004. Because <laughs> I, I, I can recall a friend of mine, Billy Burns, called and said, I see Angela on the front page of the LA Times crying because they had closed the King Drew Hospital. <laughs> And uh, yeah. I think Congressman Wallace was in that middle of that fight as well. But good as usual. Oh my God! Well, He's Angela was always doomed. Better than me. I mean, always, uh, you know, in the position for uh, greatness. And no matter where she had been, she was going to shine, and that she has done. And we are all so very proud of her. And parents, uh, you should be proud of her also, uh, because it is, you know, like they said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so she is doing and being everything that we could ever want uh, a young person to do. And I'm proud of her as you are. Thank you. Thank you very much, Congressman Waters. I certainly do appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. Is there anything else you'd like to comment on before we have to take off to your next meeting or your next call? You've got Angela on now. And uh, <laughs> Dad, I want you to hear from Angela. She's doing so much. I know she's got a lot to share, and I've got to get on with another virtual that I'm doing. But thank you for having me one more time. We certainly do appreciate you, Congressman Waters. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Goodbye now. Okay. Okay. Now, Angela Rye, let's go back to Tulsa, because a lot of people have a great deal of interest, and to hear from someone who has been there, had firsthand knowledge, and also having uh, the vision that you had because you were right in the middle of, uh, of uh, the media aspect and talking to uh, the various people, not all of them on the air. But just share with some of our listeners uh, some of the most impactful moments you had uh, while in Tulsa over last weekend. Yeah, so we were there producing a program, a special for Tidal, um, which is the online platform that was started by Jay-Z and a lot of artists. And we went to um, initially hold a town hall um, that would have several people involved, including Congresswoman Waters. 
But what ended up happening is after we conducted an interview with the, the three remaining survivors who, of course, testified on Capitol Hill two weeks ago, um, we realized that there was a lot to unpack on the ground. And so we got really busy um, talking to people who were um, who came back from college and wanted to be a part of reestablishing Black Wall Street, which is what um, the Greenwood District in Tulsa was known for becoming. And what we realized quickly is there were a number of people who were from Tulsa, born and raised, who had never heard of Black Wall Street until some of them reached high school and many more of them reached college age. Demario Solomon Simmons, who was our Nabalsa Reparations Chair, is from Oklahoma, a lifelong Tulsa resident, said he argued with his college professor and told the college professor, that did not happen. I'm from Tulsa. That did not happen. What you see, Dad, is how dangerous it is when people don't know their history. And, you know, like you and mom taught me a lot that was never in my textbooks in school. Uh, The black history section too often was a paragraph. And maybe if we were lucky, it was a short chapter. And so many more of my friends and colleagues and folks um, who were in Tulsa that I met didn't even have that. And so, of course, they didn't learn about Black Wall Street because then they would know their power and their strength. Um, their economic discipline that once existed 100 years ago. So they celebrated this, or not celebrated really, but commemorated this centennial of Black Wall Street where 10,000 black people were left homeless. Many more were frozen out of their bank assets, as Congressman Waters talked about. Um, Many homes and businesses were destroyed to not be rebuilt from the insurance policies that they Um, not only purchased, but religiously paid on because of what they deemed um, a riot clause in the um, contractual agreements for the insurance companies. They just were stuck. But black people are resilient, so many of them went back to rebuild in spite of all of that. Um, A lot of folks relocated, and there there were a lot of people killed. Hundreds of people killed, put in unmarked graves in Tulsa, and they're doing the excavating work around some of that now. Um, There's a commission that they stood up in 2016 to raise money to build a museum, but that commission wasn't set up to give the survivors and the descendants justice. So these people haven't received reparations. Um, Money had to be raised for the survivors of Greenwood to go to D.C. a couple weeks ago to testify. They are poor by what they say themselves. And that is not something that should be true. So, I think that it's time for black people, whether or not the, the, the local, state, or federal government, whether or not the insurance companies or the, or the banks do right by these folks, which they should do, we should raise money to ensure that these survivors can live the rest of their days at 100, 106, and 107 years old with grace and glory. And um, I'm working on that with, with Color of Change and many others. John Legend and Stacey Abrams pulled out of the big commission event once they found out how they raised money and didn't do anything to support the survivors. It's just a big mess. And what we have to understand is it's a microcosm of what um, economic justice for black America looks like. So we have an obligation to Tulsa, to the survivors, to the descendants to ensure justice is served. If they won't provide reparations, give reparations, which is just giving what they're owed, not you know, a handout. It's giving them what they earned and what they are owed. If they won't do it for people who are alive to share their stories, 
folks who are descendants of the enslaved will never see reparations. And that's how we should treat this with that kind of urgency. And I absolutely agree. Now, you also uh, were involved with a couple of panels and stuff. Uh, give us a sense of uh, who are people uh, that a lot of folks from Congressional Black Caucus show up. Uh, give us an idea of who was who was there, who was present. Well, you have to tune into my title special for that. So you have to go on title um, and get a subscription to title to see all of that programming. But it was a town hall. And like I said, I interviewed the survivors, Congresswoman Waters and um, State Rep. Regina Goodwin, um, City Councilor uh, Vanessa Hall Harper was on that panel with Congresswoman Waters and Rashad Robinson, who runs Color of Change, was on that panel. We had a policy panel of the future of Black Wall Street or reimagining Black Wall Street. Um, the discussion there, the um, future of Tulsa, Black Tulsa, we had a, a package. So there, all of that will be in the programming that I did for Title. Now, how can people access this program you're referring to? They need us to get a title subscription. T-I-D-A-L. It's the pro- platform that is run, owned, and operated by Jay-Z and was recently, um, half of it was recently bought by Jack Dorsey, who owns Square and, t- and Twitter. Okay. And, and once again, how do you access it? Title. T-I-D-A-L. Okay. T-I-D-A-L. Like a, okay. Like a streaming service like Pandora or um, Spotify. Title is a streaming service and they have online video content as well or YouTube. Okay, well, I'll get like my that. subscription. Okay, I want to uh, turn back to, uh, to uh, Washington, D.C., and I get your input and comment on what's happening in terms of uh, uh, this uh, latest thing to. Uh, installed voter suppression legislation in several states already. Uh, what can people do to counter that and your impression and opinion of it? They need to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Authorization Act. That's the only way to combat it. Could you give our listeners a, a, some of the details that, that, that accentuate the positive of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? Well, first of all, it's named after John Lewis, so you can't go wrong there. It's designed to ensure that there's a federal standard attached to voting rights in each of the states. Right now, all of the states can kind of willy-nilly do their own thing. And what happens as a result of that is um, there are voter ID laws that are suppressive. There are, you know, the cutting back of um, early voting days, that's suppressive. They have absentee um Absence, they make absentee voting more difficult. That is suppressive. Um, they, in Georgia, they made it a misdemeanor to give water to someone standing in line to vote. That's also suppressive. So there are all types of voter intimidation tactics happening in um, Republican-led re- legislation all over the country in state, in state houses and state senates and state legislature. And so in order to regulate some of that, um, the federal government has to pass the law, and they were instructed to do that in Shelby versus Holder, which was a 2013 Supreme Court decision where they vir- virtually gutted the Voting Rights Act and and put into place uh, a standard that says that the only way that they could reverse any of that or fix any of that was for the Congress to act. And since 2013, um, Congress has not acted. 
so it's time. It's 2021. It's been seven years of this nonsense, and if, if they don't act, um, there will be a lot of Republicans who come into office who are um, against civil rights, against police violence and brutality, and against the advancement of um, black people's economic interests. So it's, it's time for them to do um, the right thing. And um, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, is, do you think that this whole infrastructure package will be held up by a couple of Democratic senators? Yes. Or, or will the president have any options? No. If, if, if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema um, don't decide to align with what is in the best interest of the country, um, they won't be able to. They won't be able to to move forward. And that's just plain and simple. So it's like, uh, I guess, apparently, from what I've been reading, a significant number of American citizens, regardless of party, support uh, the infrastructure package. Uh, but apparently the birds not get to their, their states and their senators, their members of Congress who are opposing it. So and I'm sure that West Virginia is fairly bad off. But anyway, Angela, I really do appreciate your time. I appreciate the insights you provided to us about your uh, time you spent in Tulsa, the panels that you were engaged with and the foresight you've given our listeners. So is there anything else you'd like to say before you leave? No, sir. Thank you for having me, Dad, and happy. Okay, well, thank you for finding time for the old man. We certainly do appreciate it. And I really appreciate that post that you put up on my birthday yesterday, too. So love you dearly, okay? Yeah, okay, talk to you later. Okay. All right, Eric, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. 
Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. All right, Eddie Ryan back in Urban Forum Northwest. My next guest is the distinguished president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, Michelle Merriweather. And Michelle, I want to congratulate you, Senator Twyla Nobles, Andrea Capane Sanderson, and Angela Jones for this Black Future Co-op Fund that you guys have put together and organized in a $1 million to be, uh, uh, to Black-led organizations. And I think that's fantastic work in addition to all the stuff you're doing at the Urban League. And, uh, you know, I know that I just saw something also, on the front, you guys are on the front page of the media right, with information about that event. And then I turn over and here is uh, the, the Urban League, the housing, Miss Linda Taylor and the housing just kicking. So you guys are doing some great things for the community. I just wish we could afford some more housing around the Urban League itself. You so, and me both. Yeah. So anyway, I think I think the MLK Gandhi initiative is going to do a lot of that. That was a good yeah. possibility that can happen with that training I, folks again and with the salaries they'll be making and with the demand for their skills. And even a person with a, a criminal background, if they get those skills, they can be a subcontractor somewhere making 100000 plus stand at home. So we're going to be getting information out on that. But I want to talk about, why don't you share with our listeners about this, uh, the co-op fund grants? But before we do that, before we do that, let's first talk about you and, and, and the Urban League and what's okay. happening there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're working hard, like you said, just trying to serve the community as best as we can. Right now, there's a lot of emphasis on making sure that our folks, our families, our community stays housed. So we're doing a lot of work with the uh, city, the county, and United Way to get these funds that the federal government has um, has sent our way. Thank you, Uncle Joe, to make sure that we are providing rental assistance to those that need it most, and and hopefully. Uh, uh, pretty soon some mortgage assistance as well, um, just to make sure that our folks can stay in their homes when the moratorium is lifted. I will also say we are we are making a call to the governor to extend the moratorium to give us some time uh, to catch up with getting this rental assistance funding out to those that need it. So we're making that call to action as well to extend the moratorium um, a little bit longer so we can make sure that we... Um, capture as many families that we can uh and then we're preparing to get the word out to, to our families and students about returning to school full-time safely and making sure that those resources are provided to our young people um you know to make sure that they're ready to go back uh full-time into the classroom so making sure that that goes uh goes well as well especially for our kids now michelle how can people access that information and you have a uh, website or something where people are phone them or people can go and get information who might be looking for those opportunities you're providing yes absolutely absolutely our our website is urbanleague.org urbanleague.org and they can always call our office uh, we never closed we still we're still open monday through friday um uh at uh, 206 Four six two, three two nine two. It's been so long since I dialed that number. I, I, I have started to forget it. But uh, the website for sure, urbanleague.org. 
Are okay, now I mentioned the housing component already. Mm-hmm. I mentioned mm-hmm. the ho- Linda Taylor, the housing component. Now that information on there as well. And I know if you look in the medium, she has ad with information yep. about uh, helping with your needs and, other, and all the services, foreclosure prevention, expungement, yes. sealing of criminal records, and so all kind of things. I will uh, say folks are- buying houses too, and that third Saturday class is still open and available. It is virtual right now, and it's free, and it supports the home buy- help supports you and helps you in that home buying process. Third Saturday. Uh, and lots of folks are preparing to purchase homes even now. You know, it, Seattle proper is expensive, but there's still opportunity out there. And, uh, and now you guys were uh, doing uh, some work with uh, uh, labor. Is that correct? Are you still doing that work as well? Yes. So uh, we are a priority hire organization helping to recruit, train, and prepare folks to go into the, the labor industry. Uh, we, we do the outreach and the engagement and the recruitment into uh, the apprenticeship programs and then support them on their journey until they journey out. Uh, so that's also on our website. And then we'll also be doing some uh, sort of summer school type training for young people that, have an, that express an interest in their trades as well to help give them the, the baseline skills to prepare to go into the pre-apprenticeships, maybe a pre-pre-apprenticeship, I don't know. Um, but uh, that's going to be available this summer as well. Now, when, when do you foresee uh, the Urban League going back into full operation with your staff and all the people you're helping interfacing mm-hmm. face-to-face with them? Do you have a timetable or goal for when that will occur? We're still there. We're, we, we haven't stopped. Um, we try to be as flexible as possible. If folks are more comfortable in, in receiving services virtually, we can make that available. But our office is open Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to 5. Okay, and that's good to hear. Yep, yep. So now, so now you've answered that question. So all the good stuff you heard from Michelle Merriweather, you can go by 14th and yes, sir and get that information or go online first and you might not have to go to 14th yes sir <laughs> that's true that's true either one do what do what works best for you we are there if you uh need to come see us in person or want to come see us in person we we welcome you for sure yeah i'm glad i want to take the last few minutes to talk about the black future co-op fund uh that uh, i see center on the front page of the medium today uh senator twina nobles Michelle Merriweather, Angela Jones, and Andrew Capane Sanderson. And uh, this million is going to be uh, going to Black-led organizations. Can you yes. share with our listeners, many of them probably are saying, how can we get uh, to be able to participate? So can okay. you share with our listeners exactly how that will work? Yeah, I, the- I will say when um, the, the murder of George Floyd happened last year, many people took to the streets rightfully so, for the unjust treatment of black men in particular, but black women also. Um, While we certainly were with them um, in the streets and joined them in protests, we came together and said, how can we use the position that we are in uh, and the, the, the relationship we have with philanthropy to do something different? And we launched the Black Future Co-op Fund last year. Uh, in the last year, we've been working hard, you know, Again, all four of us have full-time jobs, but working hard to to raise the money to 
to put it right into community. Our first, initial goal is $25 million. We're halfway there, but we wanted to make sure that we started releasing money into the funds, into the community across the state to support black Washingtonians all over the state. And so our first grants, the We See You grants, uh, were $25,000 to 40 or black-led organizations across the state. Um, and they're in many areas, anything from education, health and well-being, entrepreneurship, uh, and the list goes on. Uh, anywhere from uh, Spokane, the Central Valley Tri-Cities, down in Vancouver, uh, Snohomish County, and King County. So we, we tried to cover the cover the gambit as well. Um, and it's, it's, it's funding that they can do with what they choose. There was no application process. We did a lot of listening across the state and, and heard and uplifted or folks uplifted organizations. And that's how we were able to make that decision. Um, this is just the first of many, of course, uh, we hope, and we hope that this fund lives long beyond uh, the four of us to continue to uh, infuse capital and, and cash into our organizations that are doing great, great work with very little resources or attention and help bridge and build that relationship uh, with philanthropy and help philanthropy see us, do things differently, do things more equitably, to better serve us, uh, the black community across and black Washingtonians across Washington state. Um, in closing, how can people access information about the Black Future Co-op Fund? Absolutely. Um, BlackFutureWA.org. BlackFutureWA.org. Uh, it's a great website uh, that talks about how we started, how we work. And it also has an opportunity for folks to share their ideas on what they envision for liberated black Washington. Wa oh, excuse me. Liberated black Washington. So I, I, I highly encourage folks to go visit our website. And we're on all the social channels as well, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, so I, I hope that folks follow us as well. And they can also donate. Uh, we um, are accepting funds to continue to infuse them into community and to uplift and empower those that are doing amazing, amazing work. Michelle Merriweather, thank you very much. Thank you for all the work you and the others are doing, and uh, specifically you and uh, the staff at the Seattle Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. So I'll and be seeing, talking to you soon, and thank you very much. Happy belated birthday. I appreciate you. Okay, thank you very much, Michelle. Bye -bye. All right, everybody, we'll take another break and come back with our next guest after that. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. 
Tacoma.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. All right, Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest, and the sun is definitely shining. Uh, my next guest is Alicia DeBartolabin, who is uh, president and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum, also known as NAM. And she, in addition to running the museum, is undertaking a very significant uh, activity in organizing uh, the 60th commemoration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to Seattle in uh, November, early November of 1961, where he uh, spoke at 270s at Garfield at Temple de Hirsch at Eagles Auditorium because the First Presbyterian Church rescinded the invitation for him to speak. But Lanisha, how you doing? Hello there, Eddie. Hi, Hayward. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, Hayward is not here anymore, so just Eddie, okay? <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm not doing great. But anyway, uh, Lanisha, you know, we've had you on before, but, you know, uh, look, uh, people want to know a little bit. Your background is very interesting. And uh, we also hold hold a national elected uh, chair position as well over all the black museums. But just take a couple of minutes and share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Thanks so much, Eddie. It's really a delight to um, be here in Seattle to serve with the Northwest African American Museum. I've been in the museum field for about 20 years now and just have a passion for what black museums do, um, who we are as cultural institutions providing educational empowerment and really pushing justice and equity in ways that make a difference in people's lives. And we're just excited here at the Northwest African American Museum to be a part of a national network of African American museums who are working together from coast to coast. Even this upcoming Juneteenth, we are collaborating with nine other black museums across the country to host a a national virtual Juneteenth commemoration. And so NAM is, is plugged in and tuned in to what black museums are doing to improve and empower our communities. This other activity, when do, when do you foresee the museum opening back up uh, due to this COVID, COVID situation? Is it reopened as of yet? 
It currently is not uh, physically reopened, but you know, Eddie, we have not slowed down at all. We have simply moved our activities to a virtual platform and outdoors. So although we're not physically in the four walls of the museum, we are continuing to be a museum. We're continuing to educate, to engage, to empower, and to inspire. We have a variety of, of programs that we have done and that we're preparing to do and planning to do in the future. And so although we have not yet set a date for reopening, uh, our activities have not slowed down at all. As I mentioned, not only are we having the National Juneteenth collaboration, but we're having nine days of Juneteenth commemoration. It kicks off on June 13. That's Sunday, and we're going all the way to June 21st. There will be a mix of uh, virtual programs, drive-in, drive-up programs where people can stay in their vehicles and enjoy black heritage, black art, and black culture, as well as some um, in-person programming as well during our nine-day Juneteenth commemoration. So we encourage individuals to visit our website to learn more about that particular upcoming program, but all that we have planned this year. We have a very um, inspiring Descendants series program. We're bringing the descendants of W.E.B. Du Bois as well as Harriet Tubman to be in conversation with our community and our region about black history and their ancestors. So we're, we're nonstop as a museum. We're going to continue with our HBCU um, Sunday series this fall and everything that we do as a museum, we're continuing to do. And this uh, other big event that's coming up, uh, we can now announce that you have got uh, Martin Luther King uh, uh, the third to come to Seattle uh, to be a part of the 60th commemoration of Dr. King's only visit to Seattle. And you have formed yes. a committee. And uh, I know the committee has been quite busy early on. There's been no slowdown. I've missed a couple of meetings. But I had some other things I had to take care of, but I am very engaged and very interested. And uh, so why don't you share with our listeners exactly what you have planned? Thanks so much, Eddie. The Northwest African American Museum is truly delighted to announce that we will be um, working in collaboration with a community-wide committee to host a three-day commemoration of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s single 1961 visit to Seattle. He uh, came at the invitation of his fraternity brother and Morehouse college brother, Reverend Dr. Samuel B. McKinney, and our community is going to commemorate that historic event. The exact um, anniversary date, 60 years later, so this will be November 7, 8, and 9 this year of 2021, and we're just very pleased to announce that the keynote speaker will be Martin Luther King III. Martin Luther King III is the oldest son of uh, Reverend Dr. King and Coretta Scott King, and he is uh, a humanitarian in his own right, community activist, and has a very uh, special interest in uh, supporting young people in their um, gaining their voice for uh, civil rights and social justice. And so Martin Luther King III will be the keynote speaker. We will have a variety of panel discussions with community leaders. We will have musical performances by the Northwest African American Museum's new 
inspirational choir called ACE, the African American Cultural Ensemble. This is a, a choir that will be debuting uh, Juneteenth this year, and they'll be performing during that three-day commemoration. We will also have bus and bike tours of the site here in Seattle that Dr. King visited in 1961 from um, Mount Zion Baptist Church to all of the other sites that he visited, the University of Washington, Temple de Hirsch, Garfield High School, Eagles Auditorium, uh, which is now... Um, located near the Act Theater, uh, the Olympic Hotel, Plymouth Congregational Church, and so many other sites. Uh, Home of Good, a barbecue spot is where uh, Dr. King ate for one of the uh, meals during his time in Seattle. So we are going to literally walk in the footsteps of Dr. King during that three-day commemoration. We'll have curriculum-based educational activities for young people, and some uh, college age and millennium, uh, millennial activities for our young people. We'll also have the no- Northwest African American Museum's Knowledge is Power book giveaway events going on during that time, distributing books by and about um, black authors writing on the civil rights movement. And so it will be just a full variety of activities, again, to um, to call us to, to action, to empowerment, to inclusion. And we'll spend three days doing that as a community and looking forward to a, a more empowered uh, future for our community because of, not only because of Dr. King's visit in 1961, but because of what we can and are doing as a community now. Well, we do have the only municipality in the country named for Martin Luther King Jr. So, <laughs> so, so, so right. at least he's, at least he's yeah. And uh, even before we got to start this endeavor, we had met with Martin Luther King III when he was up. He was speaking at Edmonds Community College, and he said he had no idea it was such a large area, which was 2,500 square miles. But uh, now the other thing I've been uh, uh, I've shared some information with some folks about uh, what the plans are. Is there public information about this? Is there a website set up? Uh, if there are people that have artifacts or memories or anything about Dr. Kane's visit uh, where they could share that? Is there any mechanism set 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 up for that, that exchange? Absolutely, Eddie. The Northwest African American Museum is so excited that this three-day commemoration will include the collection of oral histories. We will be gathering um, oral histories and recording the, the recollections and the memories that people around our community have of Dr. King's visit in 1961. Those who uh, perhaps attended one of those um, speaking engagements where Dr. King spoke here um, individuals have such vivid memories of what Seattle was like in 1961 in general. And so we'll be focusing on collecting oral histories. We have a growing and uh, committed and hardworking planning committee for this three-day commemoration, and we're so grateful, Eddie, that you are a key part of that. Uh, That committee will be creating a wide variety of marketing materials, um, sign-up opportunities, 
involvement opportunities for our community. So we're deep in the planning stages right now. And uh, once the full website with information is um, unveiled, we'd love to come back on your show to to share that. Uh, yeah, you're more than welcome. We do appreciate them. I'm just thinking about who was at Garfield in November 61. People like uh, my friend Mason Mitchell, I think uh, Gartha Morgan, uh, matter of fact, my two brothers, uh, Jerry and Jackie, uh, uh, Houston Drayton. Uh, I was thinking about all the class of 62. So uh, I know some of those guys probably remember it very, very well. As a matter of fact, one of our committee members, uh, Dr. Carver Gayton, was a first year uh, instructor and assistant football coach. And he actually got a chance to meet uh, uh, Martin Luther King, Dr. King, after uh, his uh, speeches to the two assemblies at Garfield High School. So, uh, but Lanisha, I want to thank you very much uh, uh, for which, the work that you're doing. And then as soon as we get that information on how people can give their input and provide information, because I've talked to some people, they're saying, you know, there are people like uh, worked on, with us in the 80s, changing the name of the street, you know, yeah. other folks who work with like Senator Adam Klein, who spearheaded uh, the legislation to change the name of the county. And I think people like that would be Bob Barnes, who was uh, with the Shipskillers Union, uh, who was assaulted by a drunk lady protesting to change the name of the street. I think people like that need to be considered as well, too, because they do have that history. So anyway, I will share that with you offline. Lanisha Barlin, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. We appreciate you. We appreciate Have you. A good day. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Okay. All right. Before we go, I want to thank uh, Leslie Jones and Janae Robinson down at Sound Transit, Liz Alzier with the City of Seattle's Purchasing Construction Services Office, Mian Rice with the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office. And uh, I want to also thank uh, my guest, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, uh, Angela Ryan, Michelle Merriweather, and uh, look up uh, the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, theurbanleague.org, to see if they are providing any services that can help you. So if there's something to be offered, you need to check them out. They have a friendly staff, and they're very capable of getting the job done. And Lanisha, you just heard Lanisha DeBartlebin doing fantastic things. We look forward to seeing Martin Luther King III in Seattle uh, in the 5th, 6th, or 7th of November of this year. Thanks, Eric. It's all for Urban Forum Northwest with Eddie Ryan. I'll talk with you again next Thursday.